the search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization uh, means the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the self. Welcome to the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. I'm your host, Brett Griffin, and our guest today is entrepreneur and self-described music industry veteran, Chad Pearson. Chad has had a 20-year career in the music industry, founded multiple record labels, signed a ton of great bands. If you listen to punk or indie rock in the 2000s, you probably remember Chad's work and his label, The Militia Group, with bands like Rufio, Branson, Cartel, Noise Ratchet, and Copeland. Chad went on to found P is for Panda and is currently working with Reach Records in Atlanta, which is co-owned by hip-hop artist Lecrae. Chad can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Chad Pearson. Chad, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, cold and all. <laughs> yeah, we had to postpone a little bit because he wasn't feeling too well. But uh, Ugh, It's the worst. If you hear some scratching, that is his epic beard rubbing up against his uh, microphone. <laughs> so uh, we're, Sweet. You guys can't see it, but the beard is quite epic, and we're going to allow it. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So what are you up to these days? Man, just just being the best husband I can be, the best father I can be, and and uh, trying to to love everybody. That's a good place to I be. Guess that's yeah, good place to start. So, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you're doing now, and then kind of go backwards and kind of how you got into this, and kind of go forward from there. Sure. So, how would you describe your role at Reach Records? My role at Reach, I my title is the COO or the Coo, as I call it. <laughs> um, basically, that means there's there's two owners of the company, Ben Washer and Lecrae. Um, they pretty much they have the vision, and I help execute behind the scenes kind of stuff. So um, that means from managing staff to contracts to budgets, timelines, all the fun stuff. Okay. Or not fun, depending on what your outlook on life is. Oh, man, I love it. Awesome. That's good. And how'd you originally get into this whole game? Man, let's go way back then. Way back. Way back. Let me get in my time machine. Um, I Parents were missionaries. I I grew up overseas, a country called Papua New Guinea. And when I graduated high school, um, I got accepted to two different colleges. One of them was the Art Institute of Seattle. Um, which I decided to go to the Art Institute of Seattle because that's where my favorite record label, Tooth & Nail Records, was. And I was determined to get a job there. Okay. And basically, as luck would have it, and going to many shows and meeting the right people, um, about a term into going to school, I was offered a job uh, for the summer, and that just turned into me never leaving and them giving me a job. Um, and then that in the mailroom, and then just kind of grew from there. And that's hard to believe it was 20 years ago. Literally started in the mailroom. Literally the mailroom. If you've ordered anything from Tooth and Nail, I've probably talked to you. I've probably touched your order. Um, I've made a lot, a lot of lifelong friendships um, from people who ordered at Tooth and Nail, which is quite phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about Tooth and Nail, you talk about all my 
eighth grade, <laughs> freshman year, sophomore year heroes. I mean, you're talking about MXPX and Slip Shoes and Supertones and all, all the bands I was listening to and idolizing. And there you were mailing their stuff to people and oh, yeah. <laughs> hobnobbing with them and living the life. Oh, yeah. I still have to pinch myself because I still am a fanboy at heart. Yeah, I don't think anyone gets into music without you know really being a fan and knowing that it's something they're passionate not. about. There's barely any money in the banana stand. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, how did you end up at art school? Was it solely Test Tooth and Nail, or was there a dream behind that other than that? I wanted to be a drummer. Okay. And growing up overseas, I was, you know, I don't speak highly of myself very often, but I believe I was the best drummer in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> and I thought it was going to carry me super far, and I was going to come to America and just blow everybody away. As I recall, and I could be, I could recall things incorrectly because I'm almost 40. You start to lose your brain. But my first show that I attended in Seattle was at the Velvet Elvis, and it was a guy named Jeremy Enoch and another guy named Damien Gerardo. And one of the drummers who was drumming that night was a guy named Matt Johnson, who still to this day is one of my favorite drummers of all time. When I saw him drumming, I assumed that's what every drummer in America, uh, their level was at. I was incorrect, um, <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time, and I said, I need a career change. And to answer your question, I chose the Art Institute of Seattle because I, when you graduate, you're supposed to go to college. Right. I was never really interested in anything but music, um, and this kind of helped just kind of further that passion or that curiosity. So Art Institute of Seattle was kind of, hey, I'll do music and video business. See where that takes me. I've heard they have music in Seattle. I've heard about that a little bit. Yeah, a few. Yeah, how does the son of missionaries growing up in Papua New Guinea find out about Tooth and Nail, find out about that scene? You know, how does how does one get plugged <laughs> into that from that far away? Man, I just, I was a curious kid, and I'm still curious. And My sister has a lot to blame, just her love of music, which... Carrie, for listening, I still think you listen to some awful music, um, <laughs> but it's because of the love of her hair metal bands being from Alice Cooper to Poison to Cinderella to Winger. It just kind of grew from there, and I got into punk rock, and then being a missionary kid, you had to listen to Christian music, so mm -hmm. I had to dig really deep. Um, Amy Grant and Petra were no longer cutting it for me, and I started discovering heavier bands. I think it went from like res band who's really not that heavy to like just these really unknown bands, Idol Cure. And then it got into, I picked up a tape by a band called The Crucified. Mm -hmm. I remember also them. Living Sacrifice yep. and just kind of, that just blew my mind wide open. And I just wanted more and more and more. Heaven's Metal was a magazine that I subscribed to. And every review, I would write letters to bands. I would just, I just wanted more. I saved up all my money. I would order CDs over, overseas. I'd wait three or four months just to get them. And I just sat there and just immersed myself in all sorts of music. Yeah. So This is pre-internet, so we're talking $12 for the CD and $25 for shipping. Uh, yeah, the shipping charges were rather uh, huge, to say the <laughs> least. But, I mean, I lucked out because I, I got because I was from Papua New Guinea. You don't get really that many fan letters from people in Papua New Guinea. So I had bands send me free stuff because they just like couldn't believe like what there's someone in Papua New Guinea that likes our music. <laughs> we can't get we can't get hardly anyone to come to Cleveland, Ohio to for a show. Right. You know, so it it was it was great. I mean, Billy Power at Tooth and Nail. I wrote Tooth and Nail and asked them for free stuff. 
along with ordering stuff. And he still has a letter to this day because it just stood <laughs> out because there's not, again, there's one person writing from Papua New Guinea to tooth and nail. Right. You get that letter and you're just like, what the, okay, I'm keeping this one. Was there a moment or a specific instance that you realized this is, I can do this. I can work in this industry. I can make these connections. I'm going to move to Seattle and work for my favorite record label. Was there a moment that you realized that was a reality and something you could make happen? Well, I mean, I just moving to Seattle. I was like, I'm, I'm going to, I just had the mentality of I'm going to do this. I had no one to tell me I couldn't. And my parents were rather supportive than my crazy and still very supportive of my crazy dreams and ideas. And I just was like, well, I'm going to move to Seattle. I'm going to do music and video business. I'm going to get a job at Tooth & Nail. It was just pretty matter of fact. And once I, I was at Tooth & Nail for that summer, I realized quickly that either I could be going to school to learn how to read Billboard magazine, or I could be on my break reading Billboard magazine <laughs> and actually doing it and learning from some of, in my opinion, the best people um, that I could learn from and get to get relationship with bands. And that's when I realized relationships is super key yeah. um, in the music industry. I mean, it's, it's all about relationships. Yeah. So you worked for tooth and nail for a while and then you ended up going out on your own with the militia group. Correct. Can you talk a little bit about that transition? <laughs> I, I can. I, I worked at tooth and nail for about two years. My third year, um, I got a five cent an hour raise, which I was, I was pretty pleased with. I didn't. I didn't care. I was just some punk rock kid uh, with two hundred dollars in rent. So I was like, "Yeah, sure." But then I just sat around. And I was like, "Man, I'm going to move to California, and I'm going to start a company called the Militia Group. It's going to have a red star for a logo." And I went in the next day and I quit. Um, they convinced me to stay for a longer period of time so I could teach uh, my best friend to do my job. And basically, he did my job while I learned how to juggle, which was phenomenal. Thank you, Tooth and Nail. And I moved down to, to California, started the militia group. Initially, it was going to be a fanzine, management, booking, and a label. Obviously, that's hard to do as one person. Right. And I did eventually do a fanzine that never saw the light of day, but I had some incredible stories and incredible, in my mind, uh, material. But it was all laid out. I had people pay for it and everything, um, but I never sent it out. I never got it to be made into production. Um I started managing and mostly booking bands that I worked with at Tooth & Nail, like a Slick Shoes, Craig's Brother, Dogwood, uh, you name them, I, I was booking. And I would just go on the road with them, meet other people. Um, and eventually I met Rory Felton in Kansas City, who Rory was my uh, became my business partner with the Militia Group as the label, which is pretty much what everyone uh, knows the Militia Group as, is the label. Right. Um, and he was moving out to California and said, hey, why don't you start a label? I was like, well, I'm a missionary kid. I have no money. And he's like, well, let's let's make that work. He knew he had a really good business sense. His parents were really good business people. And said, I, I think we can get a loan. My parents can help sign us sign off on one. Let's do it. And so after talking for about six months, we actually made it into a label. And I stopped booking and managing and just really focused on the label. Okay. And yeah, some of the bands I mentioned coming in were bands I was listening to in college, and uh, especially Rufio. Those days were super talented, and uh, oh, yeah. being a drummer in a punk band, you know, a pop punk band, it was just, those guys were like the idols. I mean, <laughs> like, they're young like us. Why are they so good? Why aren't we this good? <laughs> you yeah. Know? Why can't we write songs like this? And that was great. I mean, we were in that, we, we just caught a good wave, because it was, we were in the same, like, why are these guys so good and no one cares? Like, no labels. You know, yeah. like, we go to their shows and it's packed. Like, yeah. we don't understand. 
And so we were just, I mean, we were friends with all these bands and we just wanted to help them out and eventually just worked in our favor. So yeah, it was a phenomenal time to, to have a label. Okay. So then we'll talk about the transition out of that, moving to the East Coast, P is for Panda. What was kind of behind that decision? Behind that decision was basically Rory and I, we became, uh, we had two different separate goals, which is totally fine. And Rory and I are fine now. There's no ill will. There's no uh, behind the scenes drama or anything. But he was going one way and I was another way. My bands that I really were working with day to day were kind of dropping the ball and, and, and getting done so to speak. Mm-hmm. Branson was kind of over. Umbrellas was kind of settling down. Copeland was, uh, that that was one that, that hurt and they went to Columbia. Um, they did not want to sign with, with us again. And those were like my, my babies, my, you know, people that I dealt with day to day. And it just kind of got to a point where I was like, man, there's something more to life than just putting out records. Um, my wife, <clears throat> Candy, is from Georgia. And I had convinced her to move to California. I don't know if I had too much convincing. She was already planning on it. But we we basically were just two people out there with no family background or no family um, in California anymore. And we, we were, you know, we're like, let's start a family. Mm-hmm. So I went to Roar and I said, hey, I want out. You know, let's, let's figure out a transition phase for me. But I'm done. You know, I want to leave cleanly and happily and. Again, no ill will. Let's figure out transition phase. And I went off to Georgia. Um, and that's pretty much it. And then from there, was, I didn't want to do music at all anymore. I wanted to start. I want to be done. You know, I just wanted to kind of have something more of my life. Uh, Peace for Panda started initially as a t-shirt company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were going to split the profits into third. Um, so a third would go to me, obviously. Um, and a third to the artist who created the shirt and the artist would then, uh, pick a charity of their choosing and we would donate a third to them as well. Um, and we did that and that was fun, but it didn't really take off too much. I never advertised, but I sold about 2000, 3000 shirts. We donated quite a lot of money and it was, it was fun. Awesome. What's a basic daylight for you now? Basic day, get up at six, take a shower, make some coffee, listen to a podcast on the way to work, get into work before all the kids get in there and, and try to just set up my day correctly, uh, figure out what needs to get done. How can I help coach, uh, the team and where can I really help out and, and provide leadership where needed mm-hmm. and then come home and, and hang out with the wife and the kids, watch some TV, go to bed. You've seen some crazy stuff in the music industry in your time. You know, you, you got in right, right before Napster and then you've seen, you know, the fallout of that and then streaming and how all that's changing everything now. I mean, you've kind of run the whole gamut. Yeah. As I have followed the music industry for years and, you know, known people in bands and known people that were signed, known people that were in bands that were signed that didn't make it and everything, you know, it's, it seems like it's getting harder and harder for bands to make a living, you know, with, 360 deals and touring and merch and the you know the big players are so established and the streaming services have such an in into people's ears you know how does an up-and-coming band get plugged in how do they find a way forward man it changes that's why i love the music industry because if you truly love music and you want to be a band there's still a way forward there's more there's people consuming music more ways than uh, there were ever before the fact that you can pick up your phone 
and you can have access to whatever music you want. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I remember having to burn CDs and carrying around a book of like 500 CDs. Yep. You know, now I don't have to do that. I have my whole collection on my phone. Yep. And it, sometimes it's embarrassing when it's on the shuffle because it goes through some old school <laughs> stuff, but it's all right there. I don't have to have CDs there. So bands just, they have to figure out it's not about how you consume music, but it's how you reach fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, case in point, um, we have an artist and they just want to do a digital only kind of release. And I'm looking at stats and still in the U S 27% of sales are physical CDs. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. I don't know in my circle of friends who has bought a CD in the past five years, right? but still there's people buying CDs. There's still, and for the label that I'm working at now, streaming is a huge amount of income. Mm-hmm. Just think about it. Like, you bought Jimmy Eat World Lead American. Yep. You bought that. I've bought that. I bought it on CD. I probably bought it on a CD again once it got retitled. Yep. I bought it on vinyl. But how do I listen to it now? I consume it via Spotify. They're getting paid again. Right. So they're getting paid more money now on Bleed American than they ever have before. Uh, probably not in the first week sales or whatnot, but they're they're getting paid now on streaming side. They're not getting paid on sales, so they're they're making. There's ways to make money. You got to slowly drip content out. You always have to be dripping. I look at Drake, who's the biggest artist in the world. Right. He's always dripping some kind of content out. There's something going on, and he's redefining what we're you know what we call things. He just drops whatever. Um, I don't even know what he called it. The the thirty song thing, mm-hmm. but. It's just, oh, it's not my album, but it's just 30 songs you can digest. And now they're going to be the songs of the summer. It's just, it's crazy. There's, if if you're going to sit down and just whine and moan that the days are done, like, then you just don't really care about music, in my opinion. Right. You're going to find a way to do it regardless. And there's people who still want to support and do support. So you'll find a way. There's ways. I read a stat a while back that there are, five or six major vinyl manufacturers in, in America and that they're all operating at 100% capacity. Is that true? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think there might be a couple more that's opened up since then, but the if you want to have vinyl, it's like a six-month wait time now. Oh, wow. So it's just it's incredible. Um, vinyl is, is, for some genres, a very growing space. You know, but then you also have the the, you know, it could be oversaturated here in a second too. Yeah. Not not everyone wants to have Stranger Things on vinyl, even though <laughs> I do. You know, <laughs> but do I really want Guardians of the Galaxy two on vinyl? Well, right. Again, maybe I do, but yeah, I don't want every single soundtrack of every single movie on vinyl. Like, that's kind of overkill. Yeah, guys, you probably don't need to make a hundred thousand of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- that's funny about CDs because, I mean, where do you even buy CDs anymore? I mean, Walmart and Target, I mean, other than that. Yeah, which are still shrinking, but, I mean, obviously with Reach, we have the Christian fan base as well. So it's the Christian Christian stores are still heavily supporting us, and our Christian fans are very loyal. And the bookstore buyers are grandmas and soccer moms who are coming in to buy stuff for their kids. Right. So there's still people we can't. We can't turn our backs on it. There's still people buying physical product, which blows my mind, but it's the hard data. When you tell people you work in the music industry, what's their most common reaction? Man, what what do you do? Um, I, 
I really try to refrain from telling people what I do. Mm-hmm. I find what other people do a little bit more interesting because my day to day is my day to day. It's boring. It's monotonous. It's, you know, it's, it's what I do every single day. Mm-hmm. My friend at the CDC, I want to know what he's doing. Okay. How did he get into there? <laughs> you know, what's going on? What are you mapping? Hey, Ari, how are you doing? But it's just, that's intriguing to me. Like what, what actually is going on in that world? So I'd, I'd rather shift the focus on other people. Doing podcast interviews is very awkward for me. So <laughs> it's, it's, I just really try to stay in the shadows, I guess. Okay. Um, if people ask me, I'll tell them. It's fun to talk about. I'm passionate about it, but not something I, you know, hey, I'm Chad. I work in the music industry. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure you did tons of people like, like I've said a couple times now, you know, you were working with my heroes when they were my heroes. You know, I'm sure you run into people like yeah. that all the time too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's flattering. I mean, because those bands were bands that I love as well. I mean, like Copeland is still a well-revered band. Mm-hmm. Branson is still a well-revered band. And that's those two bands. And, and a lot of the other bands too are people's favorite bands, like mine included, you know, like Aaron Mars sang at my wife and I's wedding like hmm. we're huge fans of course Dennis and Whitmer like I could go on and on about that guy just listen to his music all day long and to hear other people freak out about it as well like it's just flattering and sometimes again I have to pinch myself like I'm working with I've worked with some of my favorite artists any preconceived misconceptions about the industry that you'd like to put to bed once and for all it's uh, I've watched like a couple episodes of Empire um, it's definitely not like that. Um, at least this, I don't put myself in those situations, put it that way. There's a lot of just waiting around studios are in my mind, some of the most boring places you can ever be. Video music shoots are super boring. I don't know. I mean, if you put yourself in there, you can always, it's just, it's a hustler's mentality. Mm-hmm. You always have to be hustling. You always have to be moving. Back when I was in California Militia Group, I mean, we went to so many shows, you know, just to see bands and go to, you know, go see artists. And, and now it's just, I forget what my point was going to be, but there was one, I promise. It's just <laughs> 40 years old, you kind of lose your... Yeah, for every every small kid under seven you have, you lose a little bit more <laughs> of your sanity. So I... <laughs> and I have three of those, so it's great. So when you're looking to sign a new band... What are you looking for? Is it entirely about the demo or is it, you know, a lot of people say that you got to have the look to, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, but you know, what is Chad looking for when he's hearing a new band, finding out about him? Well, I've, I've been out of the A&R game quite some time, which is great because I don't have to go to shows all the time. <laughs> I can come home at five and just kind of turn my phone off and be with my family. But as far as what I, I mean, the music is always first and should always be last in my opinion. Um, obviously there has to, you just kind of know, I mean, when you see a band that you like, you just, you know, there's something about that band, you know, something there's about that person, mm-hmm. you know, when you walk into a room and someone's commanding the room, there, there's a, a quality to them that you just, you just know. And then they kind of, they, they step up to that uh, challenge as well. They don't shy away from it usually. So awesome. I, I usually driven, talented people. What's been your biggest triumph professionally? Biggest triumph? Yeah, if there is one. Man, like, uh, to me, the biggest triumphs are always when I go to a show for an artist that I love 
uh, say I'll use the example of like umbrellas, um, going to see Scott Windsor perform somewhere in Podunk, uh, you know, Iowa and seeing, even if it's 20 kids that show up, even if it's 300 kids that show up, even if it's 3000, but seeing Scott play a song that I and him both love and fought for to be on the record and seeing kids react to it, singing along, that is the biggest triumph, I think. Because that means it's, one, I'm not an idiot for thinking that song is awesome because there's <laughs> other people that think it's awesome. But it just, it means that you're doing something that matters to people. Yeah, record sales are great. Uh, all that stuff is fun, but I, I still think it's incredible when you go to a show and you see other people reacting that you don't even know to hear you saying that, Hey, I love Branson. Like, dude, yeah. so do I. Yeah. That's phenomenal to me. That's the biggest triumph. That's the biggest thing I can ask for to know that you spent <laughs> your money on a record that I put out and, and was passionate about. Like that's, I think that's a win. Yeah. A thousand years from now, there's, there's something about that song and I can't quite put my finger on it, but every time I hear that song, I just did oh, this man. weird introspective melancholy like i'm getting the deuce buns right now just thinking about it like oh yeah and it's one of my low-key favorite songs that no one ever knows you know exactly and i fought for that song to be number one on that record you know i think it's number one uh, yeah, there goes goes my mem- the lead in, yeah. yeah yeah there goes my memory again but it's like i just love how that record starts out because you're thinking it's gonna come at you but it's like this really just awesome slow jam yeah. that just pulls you in yeah, it's a, it's definitely uh yeah, it's one of my low key favorite songs that no one ever knows what oh, I'm yeah. talking about when I, when I bring it up. <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean there's one of those moments right there. You're talking about that feeling and then it's like, Oh yeah, I love this song and you're like, Yeah, I fought for that yeah. song, you know. I mean it's it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I'm right there with you. How about any failures, disappointments, anything that didn't work out the way you hoped it would? What'd you learn from that? Uh well a couple bring I mean, there's always a lot that you learn from. Um, I don't necessarily see them as failures, but it's just kind of learning points. Uh, one with militia group, there's a band that I still think is phenomenal that no one else <laughs> felt was phenomenal. And I fought to spend money, uh, because I thought they were phenomenal. Um, and I should have known by their name that it was just not going to work, but big collapse is a band that I still to this day rock out to and love. And we sold like 800 copies of that record which is really nothing, yeah. but still, I love that record. Um, but what I learned is the, I got to take emotion out of the game sometimes and really look at hard numbers and go, okay, how can, uh, you know, we, we break even so we can move forward to release the next big collapse record. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, you know, I have to spend accordingly to the data. Data doesn't, data never lies. It's tough to look at data and it's, it sucks to look at data, but Again, it, it, it can be your best friend yeah. if you look at it wisely. Uh, the other stuff, P.S. for Panda was one because I felt we had a phenomenal uh, roster. Um, and still, Andy Schaff is one of my favorite artists uh, today, and he's doing phenomenal right now. But I just felt that we had a great roster, and I felt that all the artists were underserved. And I wish we could have done more, and I wish I would have fought harder for them. Mm-hmm. What so. was with Militia Group? What was it like trying to push out these bands? I mean, what's the barrier for someone like you know someone like Branson being on K Rock? Like, what's the barrier there? Someone that writes good songs, that has the current sound. You know, what what's preventing Militia Group from putting someone like Rufio or Branson on the radio? 
It's just a tough game. I mean, you look at the charts, it's all major label-backed artists, and we were never backed by a major label. We didn't have, I mean, we had a portion of our company at one point sold to Red, which was owned by Sony, but we didn't really have that radio power. Uh, we did spend the most money we've ever spent on radio with Branson, with uh, Mexico, I think it was. Mm -hmm. uh, Earthquakes and Sharks, one of the songs. Um, and we we got really good traction down in San Diego, so we started spending money, and it just wasn't working. Um, nowhere else was it taken on and it was pretty much a waste of money. Mm -hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't know. I still, you know, I'm working with reach and Lecrae, um, right now is number eight in the urban charts. Right. And again, you look at those charts and it's all backed by major labels. It just takes a lot of time. You, you gotta have the, the right people working the record. There's, a few stations that really play music still and you have to have the the relationships with those radio stations if you're someone new it's harder to make those relationships mm -hmm. um again relationships are key yeah. um and if you don't have them it's just it's really hard to break in going forward how do you define success for yourself i success for myself is a wife who loves me uh, no matter what and the kids who uh who just treat people with love and respect um, and I continue to do what I love and yeah, good answer. <laughs> well, thank you. If you hadn't have gone to Seattle and if you hadn't met Brandon and if you hadn't gotten on with tooth and nail, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, man, I, I, I still think there'd be a music industry somewhere, somewhere in there because I was just, there was uh, there was nothing else mm -hmm. you know i was determined to make it happen um whether and I, I feel like i would have had my own label at some point i would have gotten in the door somewhere just because i was determined yeah so i want to go back a little bit to papa new guinea uh how old were you when you moved there were you born there or were you there early uh early we'll say early three or four ish okay so what's it like growing up on this island, you know, out in the middle of the ocean, you know, and now then you move to Seattle and you're back in American culture that you haven't necessarily grown up with. I mean, there's commercials that you don't know about and jingles and TV shows. And I mean, what's, what's it like trying to plug back <laughs> into mainstream society after that? Oh, it's tough. Uh, yeah. Missionary barrels of clothing. My, my style still has not changed. Um, However, growing up in Papua New Guinea was phenomenal. Looking back, it's phenomenal. I think being there, it was awful because <laughs> all I wanted was McDonald's. All I wanted was culture. Like America is what I wanted, um, but not realizing what I had there, which was a bunch of diverse people, mm -hmm. diverse way of thinking, uh, just a, a way of being raised, which, uh, you know, it, it, everyone being raised is differently now. There's no, I mean, we didn't have any TV. Um, we had video cassettes that were taped so people would send over the Cosby show or Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Wow. And, and so it just, you, you create a lot of lifelong friendships, um, that still carry on to this day with just a random assortment of people. Mm -hmm. Um, so looking back, it's like something that I miss and crave is just that, um, that the diversity and just, uh, uh, 
community aspect. Mm-hmm. Again, going back onto relationships are key because that's all I grew up with is just relationships. I had relationships with people, not a relationship with the TV, not a relationship with the object, but with people. Awesome. I'm sure that outlet has served you well in the industry. You keep bringing up relationships being key. I mean, knowing how to really get to talk to people and get to know how they work and how they think and how you can best serve them. I mean, I def, I bet that's coming in handy. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm always, I feel like I'm always more intrigued on who you are than what you do. You know, like what drives you, like what, you know, what put you in this position that you're at, you know, how can we bond together? How can we, you know, I, I'd much rather go get a drink afterwards. Um, everybody matters is, is, you know, one of our, our virtues at, at reach. And I think it's really key points, um, to live life by is like every single person matters. Mm-hmm. What is, what is your story? Let's sit down and talk to you. Um, and yeah, relationships are key and just getting to know people. It, I mean, interns are, are huge. I, I, I love interns so much because, they will be my next boss, you know? And so everybody matters the way I deal with the the interns. Now they could be my future boss. And that's, I mean, that's a great life lesson knowing too, that some 12 year old kid could potentially be your boss. So how are you going to treat them? How are you going to talk to them? Um, yeah, I've never heard that like that. That's a, that's a great way to put that sentiment. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I've seen it time and time again in the music industry. My old assistants working at 30 tigers, like, if I ever get fired from Reach, God forbid, crossing my fingers, I love Reach, don't fire me. Um, you know, Brandon would be one person I call, like, yo, help me out. <laughs> but if I was an a-hole to him and a jerk, like, he wouldn't even pick up that phone. Right. So, all right, home stretcher. Yep. So what do you like to do for fun outside of work? Lately, um, and I can tie all this in somehow, you'll, you'll I've been loving to work with wood, uh, woodworking. Um, I'm building a playhouse for the kids out in the back doing just random projects. I'm very inquisitive on in how things work. So I'll look at something and go, oh, I can build that. Mm-hmm. Um, look at something and be like, ooh, that'd be fun to make. Uh, let me make our d- dining room table. Let me make this. Let me, let me do this. Um, and what I want to do eventually is, is perhaps – team up with uh, some refugees or immigrants that have come over where I live is a town called Clarkston, um, which is, they describe it as the Ellis Island of the South. A lot of refugees and immigrants come here and they don't know the first thing about American culture. Mm-hmm. Where do I get a bank account? Where do I get car insurance? How do I catch a bus? Uh, where can I go shopping? Like, where do I put my garbage? What is, what is this like? How does a refrigerator work? all these things that we take for granted that they don't know and I'm tying it up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to eventually have a, a woodworking space, a, a shop, um, that would take some of these refugees and immigrants and not only give them a life skill that they can use and potentially have their own business creating furniture, but also team up with them and open up bank accounts with them, uh, go to the grocery store with them, go on a bus with them. If they get a car, how do we get insurance? How do I get an ID? Um, there's so many different stories about people. Uh, there's one story about a guy who heard the only way he could get a license if he's a driver's license if he flew to Texas to take his driver's license. Oh wow! He's from Atlanta, so he drove to it. He saved up a ton of money, flew to 
Dallas and try to take his driver's license test, which did not work. Right. He come back here. Because <laughs> he doesn't he live no there. Proof of, yeah. So it's just like I, that, that breaks my heart. Man. Uh, another person who's in jail because they don't know how to speak English. The only word they know is yes. You know, so did you do this? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. You know, so the only word you know is yes. You're yeah. saying yes to everything. Like that, that breaks my heart. So how do I team up with with people who have been living in uh, refugee refugee camps for 10 years plus mm-hmm. who don't have a family back home, who don't know if their family is existing? And how do I just be their friend? And, and there's just so many simple things that we, you and I could do that we take for granted from, yo, come with me and let's uh, open up a bank account for you real quick. Yeah. You know, it's... It's so simple. So that's the long story. What do I like to do for fun? I would like to <laughs> build stuff and help people. <laughs> yeah, work, working with wood is one of my. I love doing that. Um, just it's just fun shaping things out of nothing, and then eventually taking that craft and maybe creating a business for to help other people. Yeah, yeah. Our generation. I think you're a little older than me, but our generation has definitely seen a swing. <laughs> is hey, it the beard? The, the, hey, I got him, I got Ray in mind too. Don't worry, mine's mine's popping, mine's popping through. Uh, and it's like, should I dye it? Because then everyone's going to know. Like, I'd almost have to cut it off and start over and keep dying it. And I don't, yeah, yeah. don't want to do that. So, no, I'm right there with you. But, I mean, I, I feel like we're definitely swinging back towards this making things ourselves. Like, I want to make this. And even if it's not good, I still want to know I made it, you know. Something about working with your hands and knowing that you can accomplish this and having it in your home. There's something cool about that. And I, Yeah, it's definitely satisfying. I mean... I mean, putting together a bed from Ikea is less satisfying than actually making it yourself, but there's still something like I spent hours on this. I'm going to lay on it now and sleep on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just There's something cool about it. I, I love having calluses on my hand. I just, again, that's just me inquisitive, though. I want to know when a repairman comes over to the house. I was like, what are you doing? What's going on? I'm not trying to question everything you're doing, but I really want to know what that where that wire goes and why is that connected pisses people off it's <laughs> you're that day <laughs> yeah anything you're excited about right now any movies you just saw books you're reading uh shows you're watching anything you want people to know about man i would suggest anything by dave eggers he's a phenomenal writer screenwriter um i just encourage you to to love people uh to to meet someone who's different than you um to i uh, think the political day and age we can all disagree and we all have heavy opinions but to sit down and ask someone who is a Trump supporter and who is not a Trump supporter, why, why not? Um, I think we are so closed in and, and what we can do is invite people into our house and have a relationship with people and see the differences. Um, and knowing the value of what you have to bring to someone, as I was saying earlier, just the, the, you know, the knowledge that you have that you think is nothing could be a huge help to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so just getting to know people, I think just know your neighbors, don't just pull into your garage and go from your garage to your house and not say hi to anybody, you know, get to know your neighbors. That's a great answer. And we don't, we don't do that enough. I mean, I, I know some of my neighbors, but not enough of them. I, I think we're all guilty of that. I think, uh, yeah. you know, you got to get in and get the kids inside and get them fed and get them to the bath and get them in bed. And then after that, it's time to sit on the couch for an hour. You know, I, it definitely, yeah. it definitely gets hard. I just watched this thing and it was like, uh, don't know what it was called, but 
is based in Scotland, and the houses don't have numbers on them. The houses are defined by the people who live there. So it's like this is the Pearson house. You know, this is the Wilbanks house. This is the Kipfer's house. You know, so it's not like my here's my address. It's like that's who lives there. But you walk places. You take it slowly yeah. and just walk and get to know your neighbors. And this is the first place we've lived um, that we actually know our neighbors. And it's freeing and it's awesome. And I, again, encourage that. Just it's it's fun. If you go back to the start of the journey, anything you tell yourself? Uh, take myself less seriously is, is always one. And don't stress out as much. Everything does work out. You know, trust God a lot more than um, you you are. Um, yeah. How about someone trying to get into the music industry? Any advice for them? Intern somewhere that you think is amazing. Learn from them. Don't be a pest, but just learn. Ask questions. Be yourself. And then find someone who you really believe in that you feel like you can help out. And ask where you can help. Mm-hmm. And do the best that you can. Um, and learn from every mistake that you make because you will make a lot of mistakes and just love the music industry. I mean, there's so many different ways to reach people. Mm-hmm. That's, again, the glory of the music industry right now. There's so many different ways you can reach your fan base or acquire a fan base. And it's up to you on how to do that. With all that we've talked about, what inspires you to keep going? How do you keep yourself motivated? Oh, man. <laughs> So many different things. I mean, again, I just, I love music. And it goes back to those those goosebumps when you hear that first song, when that song is your jam. Yeah. You know, when you hear someone perform that song live for the first time, you're like, man, they nailed that. When you see, when you cry to a song, like there's this, I'm an emotional guy. And I just, that's what keeps me going is the honesty and song lyrics and in music and the way music can move you. Um, and I just want to be part of that. I love being around creative people and people who can wear their heart on their sleeves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, I'm going to do offset for here, but you mentioned, you know, that, that, that feeling of seeing, you know, your favorite band play your favorite song. And I remember I saw, yeah. I, I went to the, the Jimmy world clarity show, you know, the 10th anniversary show. And, uh, in February, I went and saw American football play the American football record. Yeah. And it was, it's so surreal, you know, and it's one of those things that like, I never, American football, I never thought I'd see them play live ever. You know, I never thought I'd see those guys just yeah. and play those songs. And there is no feeling in the world like seeing your favorite band reunite and play your favorite song. Like it just, oh, yeah. you know, I've, I've seen my favorite baseball team win championships. You know, I've, I've got two <laughs> kids and, you know, there's no feeling like that. It's, it's so weird. And it is. It's surreal. Like you, it's one of those things. It's almost like your wedding. Like I know this is only going to happen one time, and when this is over, it's over. You know, and it's it's almost yeah. hard to take it all in. I I don't know how to explain it other than that. It's like this is so ephemeral, and I'm trying to experience it, but I also know that there's a, especially when they're playing the album straight through. Like you know each song, you know each beat, and you know when it ends. It's it, it's yeah. surreal. It's it's hard to explain. And just being together with a bunch of people who also appreciate that. There's something to that. It's magical. Any last words of advice? Life art, parenting, creativity, <laughs> anything? Man, just just listen. I think that's key. Listen to others. Everybody matters. Everybody matters. Yep. Awesome. 
Well, Chad, this is really fun. I, I I've been looking forward to this, and uh, you've got a great story. I did not know the Papua New Guinea part, so that was oh, wow. <laughs> to to be the uh, to go from being the being the best drummer out of seven on the island to oh, yeah. <laughs> to the career you've gone on to have. It's it's pretty inspiring to see, and your your love for people definitely shines through, and it's uh, it's inspiring. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Chad can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Chad Pearson, and Reach Records is on the web at reachrecords.com. Chad, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, man, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. This has been the Maslopede Podcast presented by Spring State Media Group. Our producer is Jesse Edmond. If you like what you heard today, you can find all of our episodes on the web at themaslopede.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud, and have new episodes automatically pushed to you. If you can rate and review the show, that helps us a lot. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Maslow Peak. Thanks for listening, and you'll be hearing from us next week.